Is this before we start or again? Oh, this is the bikini bottom. This is the bikini bottom, and it's fucking f- delicious. Uh, I will show Jim. Check out the uh, not at all pilfered art here. But that's what that's. Hold it up. See, there's a camera yeah, there that you should be able to it. see. <laughs> they're they're gonna get sued. Like they're so gonna get sued. No, that's that's hops. I guess as if they did it. That's not a pineapple. That's hops. Yes. And, and also, uh, yeah. So it is different. They're not gonna get sued for that. Also, uh, my guess is if they put it on there, they could not care less if they got if they got sued. Probably. Plus, bottom is spelled differently. <laughs> it is because that's their <laughs> that's their shtick. So I mean, no, I I think they're fine. Not ev- not everyone is afraid of being sued especially once they actually get sued and then they get free publicity out of it yeah i mean we have a lawyer that we can go we have a few lawyers we probably go ask right we have several yes yeah so we have in-house counsel we have in-house counsel we can, we can check with them to see what's uh, legal and not uh, so yeah this is uh episode 108 of uh, milwaukee's tailgate brewers podcast part of the mke tailgate podcast network i'm steve garshinsky uh, JP Breen is back and Ryan Tops here as always, right? Yes, you, that was very relaxed. Like you didn't even give the big, uh, we're going to get started now. You just yeah, Ryan's, started. Ryan's, Ryan's the constant and JP and I have been uh, kind of in and out lately. Well, JP's been in every episode, but I think last week. You're the one. I'll <laughs> let JP defend himself. Paul has, we were talking about that last week. Paul has been on the show more than uh, you have at this point over the past like two months. I know. <laughs> I've been. He's, he's practically a host. I say I was. I was just in the skies and and traveling and messing up my body just in terms of crossing three time zones and then crossing back three time zones and trying to sleep and trying to get everything all sorted. So uh, I don't. I'm not sure what day or time it is. Most of the time, the last few days. Yeah, but are your kneecaps intact, Breen? Like, are, my, are, are your kneecaps okay? I I don't know why they wouldn't be. I'm no. not sure the reference you're going for. My my kneecaps are fine, yes. Yeah, I'm not following that either. He was talking about how messed up his body is. And there was a rather famous uh, oh. uh, problem with somebody's kneecap this week that we're going to talk about in a couple minutes. Oh, okay. You guys all caught up now? Well. Got, yes, that was a really pained connection. It was. I mean, I just asked a simple question. Hopefully. Is oh. your kneecap okay? I mean, it's a yes or no question. We probably got about an hour to go. Hopefully, you improve from here. So... <laughs> uh, Ignore that, disregard it, uh, and tell people about the podcast aside from Ryan's kneecap references uh, so they can rate and review Milwaukee's Tailgate on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. We need those ratings. It really helps. And they're fun to read. You enjoy them. I enjoy them more than anybody. Uh, so go and rate that, write reviews. Uh, we want list your questions. So follow Milwaukee's Tailgate on Twitter at MKE Tailgate or email questions to milwaukees.tailgate at gmail.com. And you can follow our Facebook page. You can also follow the three of us on Twitter. JP is Ghost Runner on second base. Ryan is at RD Top. And I am Steve Garshinsky. And finally, if you'd like to support the podcast network, you can visit patreon.com slash MKE Tailgate. Our ball and glove patrons receive the monthly minor league extra podcast and reporting as eligible weekly Packers preview. Uh, and that came out Friday night. Yeah, and that had to be reposted because something went funky with it. It did have to be reposted. Um, So we're sorry about that, but it did get out, and Paul's doing a great job with that. Even if the Packers seem to uh, every week change the expectations of what we're going to see from them. Yeah, it's a, this is really bizarre. It is a bizarre we game. We are recording during both the Packers and Brewers games right now, and the Packers are currently up 21-16. to 16. But we're up twenty-one to nothing. So, yeah, and the Brewers are down one nothing in St. Louis. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, Milwaukee Steelgate is sponsored by Carbon Four Brewing and their English style malt bombs and perfectly balanced hop grenades. You know them for the great beers like Dragon Flute, Block Party, and their flagship Fantasy Factor IPA. Uh, it's that time of year again for Carbon Four's October Ale, which is in stores. Fermented at near lager temperatures, this beer attempts to catch magic in a glass. It has soft toffee notes wrapped in a blanket of flavors of fresh fresh baked bread and then accented with a pleasant subtle woodsy experience provided by a whiskey soaked blend of french and american oak that sounds delicious right ryan it does it sounds delicious i'm a big fan of anything oaky sure uh pick up a six pack today 
or visit the brewery on Kitsman Boulevard on Madison's east side. As always, get 20% off merch in the Carbon 4 web store with the promo code MKETailgate. Check out Carbon4.com for more information. Carbon 4, beer brilliance. Well, this team in Craig Timber are proving exactly like what they were built for, right, at this point? Yes, this is exactly what this was meant to be. Just hang around to September, let rosters expand, and then you can go out and dominate. I mean, is that really what the plan was from the beginning, JP? I I don't necessarily see that as, as the plan, but it is one of the big advantages of having so many, like trying to retain so many people on your roster throughout the entire year, is that once September rolls around, you have an opportunity to do these sorts of things. Um, well, I not just about retention. It was also about they went out at the trade deadline and looked to add guys in Pomerantz, Black, Faria, and Lyles to sure, allow them but, to do this too. Yeah, but then they also like cut people. So, you know, they they did they did a little bit of both. It wasn't like they tried to retain as many people as possible. They tried to they actually cut bait on some people as well. So it was it's an opportunity. I think Ryan and I will kind of disagree on some of the things that are happening in September here, but it is uh, it's been a great stretch. And so hopefully it'll continue because now, what, the Brewers are tied for the second wild card? Is that right? Uh, they're game back uh, after losing on Friday because the Cubs are playing the Pirates. So the Cubs have been, yeah, the Cubs have been just absolutely destroying the Pirates because the Pirates quit. Like, the Pirates have flat out quit, which the Brewers have the Pirates coming Well, yeah, up, they're so. fighting in their clubhouse, aren't they? Uh, yeah, somebody punched somebody and they're out for Alleg- the year with a surgery. Yeah, al- allegedly, everybody is kind of assumed there was an altercation of some sort in in the clubhouse. But, you know, it's I would assume it was a fight, but nobody's really saying anything. It's just they basically put out a press release and then the GM, Neil Huntington, came out and said, you know, people need to be professionals. This is not the kind of behavior that the, the pirates want to sanction. But, of course, th- they have for a while uh, and and their manager is kind of a proponent of um i don't know how you would say it like old school justice or, <laughs> uh well yeah like more old school uh you're you know eye for an eye sort of thing right yeah and so having an opportunity to get that sort of culture into the team and then surprise that uh in a down in a down year in which they've been disappointing in a lot of ways across the entire team uh, people are getting frustrated and people are taking it out on each other, not unlike what's happening in, in uh, Baltimore as well. So it's it's a tough time, especially if you are not doing as well as you would like and, and more veteran pitchers and veteran players seem to be uh, allowing it to bubble over. So, I mean, I'm assuming Hurdle doesn't survive this year. I don't know why we're, we're talking about this this much, but I'm assuming Hurdle doesn't survive. But I'm interested to see if Huntington does because of the way things have kind of been going in baseball. Huntington has been very successful in terms of turning a profit and making them relevant in for you know a pretty decent stretch of time. Um, they had three years in a row where they won the second wild card, and so they've had you know success on the field to a point anyway. So we'll see if he also gets let go or if basically because he's been successful and done it on a very limited budget that they continue to bring him back. Yeah, I'm not necessarily sure what the Pirates have done is that difficult to replicate, though. So I don't think Neil Huntington's the only one who can do it. No, yeah. but in that so, market... Do you yeah. really want to keep going nope. on about nope. the Pirates? Nope. No. Uh, by the way, this is really funny because on the rundown, which Ryan did again today, uh, there was enormous news this week and then there was uh trent grisham's five hit game hey, to open the week hey hey, hey. what chronological does, it's chronological what does, Steve. Ryan, what, do, what does ryan have the top at the top of the list trent grisham's five hit game because it happened on monday yeah let's get hurt on tuesday so that's why i mean it's chronological steve i'm gonna have to teach you how to do a rundown you know you don't this is called burying the lead i mean it's near the top <laughs> We should mention that Trey Grisham had a five-hit game and that it was a Brewers rookie record and that that's very good, and we should address this. <laughs> His OPS for the season uh, through a couple plate appearances on Sunday is at... Uh, uh, yeah, JP, how do you feel about small sample sizes? <laughs> I think uh, they are very small and that they are small samples that we should not necessarily get too excited about. But I, I do think it's... 
it's really nice to see Grisham find a little bit of success, uh, especially when it comes to looking into next year. But of course, none of these things are changing exactly what we've been talking about Grisham needs to do, and it's show it next year. We know he's been able to do it this year. We know that these things are happening this year. He's being able to do it at double AA, A, triple A, and now show a little bit in the majors. But we've seen a lot of guys have limited amount of success or great success in one year and not be able to carry it over when you're talking about pop-up prospects. So ultimately, there's not really anything that Grisham can do this year to to kind of prove what he needs to prove. He needs to go out and do it again next year. Well, and again, I, I what I've been trying to explain to Ryan, <laughs> who was all up on Trent Grisham, who then went through a period where he has, he was having a little more difficulty at the plate, his... Mm-hmm numbers turned to garbage and they had a five hit day and all of a sudden he looked you know really solid again yeah i mean he has a 107 wrc plus in 128 big league plate appearances it took one game to change the outlook from he's barely usable to oh he's a really solid young player out in the outfield no i'm just saying he's also been he's had other games where he's you know got two hits a walk hit a home run like he's had other games yes i understand he's had at bats where he's been successful but i'm not just looking at you know his successful at bats and drawing conclusions only from those hopefully grisham i mean he's a young player it's going to take him time we can't draw any conclusions from what's going on early yeah i mean it is important to remember he's only 22 so yeah yeah but i don't think we go oh well he had a five-hit game now his numbers look great and say this means the outlook for the you know we need to figure out how do we retain him uh beyond uh or when he hits free agency or something like that you know <laughs> what's it going to cost what, what what's what's the dollar value it's going to cost to keep him in arbitration like, yeah no that's that's well down the road yes but i think you're starting to formulate those ideas because i know how you <laughs> you like i'm not starting to formulate those ideas but i am starting to wonder what they're going to do with uh, ryan braun and him next year if they're going to try to get Ryan Braun we've talked about this a bunch trying to get Ryan Braun more into first base next year to create some space for Grisham which is which is funny right because Ryan Braun has been tremendous in the second half Ryan Braun has been tremendous and I'm not talking about necessarily even cutting back his plate appearances though Braun in this second half has had limited plate appearances he sits two three days a week so there's also that like we're not expecting Ryan Braun to go out and carry 600 plate appearances even if he's doing really well, right? Like at this point, he's he is a part-time player. I you have yeah. to manage his load. I very much believe Ryan Braun is a part-time. Like if you want good Ryan Braun, Ryan Braun's a part-time player. Right, which leaves plenty of room for him to get in at first base, some against uh, lefties, and then to play maybe a little in the outfield and to have Trent Grisham be your primary left fielder. And I think it is also interesting that when this week we've seen both Grisham and Gamble on the field, Grisham is the one that gets center field and Gamble ends up in right. So when both guys are on the field, Grisham has been the preferred choice, which would lead you to think he is probably more their fourth outfielder for next year than. Well, I mean, and nothing suggests Gamble is like a center fielder. No, he's just I mean, capable of center field. He, he's not a center fielder. But again, going back to it, we're burying the lead because all of this is a discussion, partly because Christian Yelich had a devastating injury on Tuesday night when he fouled the ball off his knee and fractured his kneecap. Yep, it's a fracture. So um, obviously there was, during the game, everybody was, you know, getting what ended up being justifiably nervous about this. When there was no information, the booth sounded a little reserved about everything that was going on. Well, and just like the tweets that were coming out were very like, but I know we're gonna you were, hear, we're going to hear about this after the game. And you kind of got that, a feeling that people knew stuff, but couldn't report no, it. No, <laughs> I think that's like the most ridiculous. You decided that before any tweet happened. And then no matter what tweet came out, you were going to say that they knew what was going to be happening afterwards. Literally saying we're going to find out what's happening after the game is is a nothing burger Um. i know well that was the best so so ryan is citing these todd rosiak tweets during the game where rosiak says we'll find out what's going on with yelich after the game and And he was like he knows he knows he knows knows, knows he's going to be out for the entire year he knows that that doesn't even make any sense (laughs) so anyway he is out for the entire year and i i do have to apologize to people who follow me on twitter for i'm one of the people that first retweeted the uh was it the dr nick riviera remember situation remember you do not you do not nine to eleven month thing yeah you do not cite dr twitter's 
No, that was who, bad. <laughs> who are are you know giving their diagnosis based on the fact that they heard that this happened? They probably didn't even watch the injury. No, probably not. It was just oh, his kneecap is fractured. Therefore, here is the range of outcomes, and we'll tell you what the absolute worst is. And one of them was surgery. And if it was, if that was the case, it was going to be nine to eleven months, which had a lot of people freaked out unnecessarily. And then it turned out not only did he not need surgery, but that wasn't even going to be accurate in the first place. So uh, they have been careful. I know the initial report Hold was on. Jim Bowden. Hold on, Jim Bowden put out that it was six weeks, which got everybody right away going. Oh, six weeks. That would put him back in time for game three of the World Series. And the Brewers then, when they actually put out the, the information themselves. Yeah, they put out eight to 11. Eight to, yeah. Or, yeah. So they basically said no. Like he's, it, the earliest okay. possible time frame would be Hold after on. the World I, Series. I want to back off all this. JP, when there is an injury that happens, is there anyone that we can follow on Twitter or look for anywhere that you would say, yeah, they're going to give you a reasonable explanation of injury timelines and also with the correct information available to like make some kind of, I don't want to say diagnosis because obviously they're not looking at the player, but at least information that's a little more reasonable. Yeah. The team accounts. No, there's a, there are no, there are no doctors on Twitter that are going to like be able to give you good sports information. Like at all. Um, They might be able to tell you like, oh, when they say that this injury, you know, if they say like a fractured patella, they might be able to say like, this is what that means or try to explain what the actual injury is. But in terms of being able to diagnose things before teams are are coming out with information or timelines or anything of that sort, you know, it's a lot like. It's a little bit like, I guess, projections in terms of. You have to have accurate information before you're able to do any kind of projection work, and they're not out there with any kind of information, and they're looking at either, um, you know, textbooks, or they're looking at uh, huge, huge ranges, and they don't necessarily even know what's going on, uh, or uh, alternatively, they are out there trying to promote their own brand, and then they're just taking a shot in the dark to hope that they're right, and then they look smart afterwards. It is. Dr. Nick Riviera just uh, checked on Wikipedia what it means when you fracture your kneecap. And another thing with this... They went to WebMD. With this yeah, one he's gonna specific... Be out, he's going to be out 9 to 11 months, and he probably has cancer. <laughs> well, WebMD says... Um, Another thing specifically with this one, this was a weird injury. I heard, I can't even remember which podcast it was on at By this point. By the way, Yaz is a monster. There we go. Um, he, this was, somebody has a database of like baseball injuries. They couldn't find a player having fouled a ball off their Actually, knee. I'm wrong. That was Austin. For their kneecap. Uh, it didn't exist in the database. So like this, we've seen, uh, you know, however many times guys follow a ball off their knee or off their shin and you go, oh man, that looks like that could have like hurt or broken it. And it, it never turns out to be the case. This was the case where it turned out. And it's like not really a precedented baseball well, injury. It doesn't really happen you, very much. I was going to say, you could tell that it was a strange injury because afterwards when they were doing an interview with counsel, he said he basically admitted he didn't know what was going on, but it was something serious and he didn't really understand because he said he got out there and he basically saw Christian Yelich's entire body shaking. And he was like, I came out there expect, you know, he was basically like, I came out there expecting him to have a bruise on his knee or he's just like, t- he's going to need some time to, to react. And he got out there and he was like, this is something different and this is something not good. And I don't really know what it is, but. It doesn't it's it's not surprising that it's a little bit more of a a freak injury and be something that nobody on the Brewers had really experienced before, because when it happened and they were talking about when it happened, every single one of them was saying, I knew it was something bad, but like nobody really knew what it was. Well, and it is so odd because we see players foul balls off of their legs all season long. It's like the million dollar shot. It had to be that one specific place. Yeah, you, know, you see it happen, happen all the time, and you think that's got to be so painful. I'm surprised there aren't more like major, major injuries from it. And this was the one. And this is the one. Yeah. Did you guys catch all the stuff about uh, the Cubs fans being upset about uh, how much attention Christian Yelich's injury was getting compared to what Javier Baez's injury had gotten? Because the news I had do- come down earlier in the week that Baez was going to be out for the rest of the year. I do not pay attention to Cubs Twitter. It was hilarious. They were so angry and so upset that like. Because Yelich is an MVP candidate and like 
this got a lot of national attention, obviously, uh, by comparison to what Baez has got. And so they the the joke started to become that, you know, R.I.P.C.Y. Like, you know, like people were acting like he was dead and, you know, he'll be back in spring training. So to be to be fair. Pretty much all of Brewer's Twitter before they came out with a timeline was acting like Christian Yelich was dead. Yes. Yes. Well, again, everybody assumes that the Brewer's season is dead multiple times. And then, you know. It's the Undertaker uh, gif. It is. <laughs> it is. It seriously is. They just somehow, in Craig Tember, seem to put stuff together. Um, because, you know, they, they, they lose Yelich in that Tuesday game. And they lost him right away. And it felt for that game that they were going to end up blowing that game, right? It really felt like, and they did blow the lead, and it was a 3-3 game, and then they got the uh, the winning run in the top of the ninth, right? And then Hader closed it down. Yeah, so they get the 4-3 win in the, the game. Yelich goes out. Uh, Moustakis hits a couple home runs the following day. And, Happy birthday, Moose. Yeah, and uh, Grandall has been on a tear. Grandall has been really good. He's been getting on base a ton. When he doesn't, like... Well, and also, he's also been walking. He had a month where he hadn't hit a home run, and now he's found his power stroke again. I mean, the guy's really hitting for some power now. So I, they're starting to get some other uh, offensive contributions when they needed them. Well, I think it's been helpful, too, that he's been able to uh, not catch quite as much this in the second half of the season where they've used him as their, uh, their platoon mate for Eric Thames, which has allowed when Manny Pena was actually healthy – uh, they were able to uh, use Pena against lefties, who he's been really successful against, and it worked pretty well. Now with Pena having been injured, it's a little bit tougher. But Yeah, JP, do you like this use of Grandall where they're using him at first base, or do you think it's more just out of necessity? I think it's more out of necessity. I think the only reason they're doing it is they don't have a platoon mate. I mean, to be fair, though, Tyler Austin's actually done pretty well. Uh, he's been able to hit in some good spots. He's hit for some power, and he's been a little bit of a, a pinch hit. I don't know what you would call him. I was going to say pitch, pinch hit maven, but I don't even think that's the right word. Um, he's been somebody that has been able to step up, and it's been a really interesting mix and match of what they're doing at first base, but I think that Grandall is only an option at first base when what you already have is not kind of up to snuff. It's not... if. What you have is better than Grandall, which, you know, in general, most of the time, your first base options are some of your better offensive guys. And the offensive bar at first base, we've said for, for ages, right, is much higher than it is other positions. If you have somebody at first base that is being able to carry the load like he would expect, Grandall's not going to see that much time at first base. But it does but, allow you to keep your third or fourth best bat in the lineup on most days because... He does get an occasional rest day, but right. But the yeah. point is, but the point is, is if you already have a quality right-handed first baseman, you're not going to go and put Grandall in because you already have an option that is your third or fourth best hitter. Sure. Right. Yeah. Like it depends on how you want to construct your roster too, because having but, two first basemen it has been tricky for the Brewers over the last couple of years at times. Well, it's only been tricky because um, sometimes guys haven't performed well. Right. I mean, I mean, it, I suppose it, it's been difficult for them to carry two first basemen. We've seen them do it. We've we've seen them do it a lot when Heston Hura should have been up, for example. We've seen them do it a lot uh, over the course of the last two years where they've been able to mix and match over a longer period of time. The only time it hasn't been a problem is either when Thames has been injured or be when they ended up cutting Jesus Aguilar because he wasn't any good. Been a difficult. It's been a difficult job for them to find you know, a consistent first baseman over a longer period of time. And Grandall right now is that guy. And Thames has actually been really good. Oh, Thames has been really good. I think they're going to pick up the option on him pretty much, no doubt. I think, yeah, at this point, I think they'd be foolish. Unless they have an actual option at first base that they are already tracking, I think they would be foolish to not pick it up. Yeah, it would have to be somebody really that you'd feel really comfortable with to do that, though. Which which is, you know, which is interesting, right? Because we were saying earlier in the year, it's like if you cut Thames... You know, he seemed to be the odd man out, but he just was performing so well whenever they needed to make a roster decision that it just didn't make sense to cut him, which is why we were saying, you know, is the option that you, you part ways with Travis Shaw is the option that you part, part ways with Jesus Aguilar. Um, but Thames has really had an opportunity this year to 
be cut, I guess, multiple times. And he just keeps hitting his way into playing time, which has been exactly what the Brewers have needed at first base. Yeah, I mean, he over the course of the season is probably their fourth best hitter. I mean, he's been really rock solid for them. I don't know. You like to put your numbers on all these guys. At fourth best, I mean, you have Yelich, uh, Moose, Grandall, and then Thames, Hira. Probably. Yeah, Hira, it's because of the limited playing time. Yeah, yeah. Hira's still a better hitter. So Hira is a better hitter, but hasn't let's, played. Let's not be dumb. Hira's a better hitter. Hira's a better hitter. So um, anyway, okay, so uh, the Brewers went out. They swapped Miami, which was great to see because they need to basically make hay against garbage teams. And this kind of makes up for the fact that they had a bad Miami series earlier in the season. Yeah, they they got absolutely killed in that first game and then ended up losing two out of three. Yeah, so anyways, they, they end up sweeping a four-game series in Miami. Uh, they go to St. Louis, and they get pounded 10 to nothing in that first game. Adrian Hauser did not have a great start. And it, it's been a you know rare for him to not be good. Yeah, exactly. And I really, mean, to be was, fair to him, most of the damage was done after he left the game. He didn't pitch well, but he didn't get... I think he only accounted for like three or four of those runs. So, yeah, but they were still early. I mean, I guess, um, you know, you have Hauser and you're relying on Lyles, um, who Lyles had a good start on Saturday. Very nice start on Saturday. Yeah. Um, he continues to throw well. But I, I mean, is this just a similar situation to last year when we're looking at Shasin and Miley, who, you know, nobody ex- would have expected the kind of production they had? Um, can Hauser and Lyles do something similar this season? I mean, they're probably a little more um, live arms than Miley and, and Chassin were. Oh, yeah, for sure. This The raw stuff there is better, especially the velocity is better. But, you know, it, we've talked about Lyles a lot, and the question on Lyles is how far above his head is he playing? And I saw it pointed out this morning by uh, Kyle on Twitter was talking about the fact that, yeah, he's been like, he's not two thirty something, whatever ERA he has. He's not that good, but he does have a 79 ERA minus um, or DRA minus. I'm sorry. So like he has been pretty decent in terms of uh, since he got to the Brewers. The question is how well does this play out in the future? And I'm still not sure that they necessarily want to bring him in and say, we're committing to you for a roster spot and for a rotation spot. I'm still not sure they're at that point with him. I think you'd ideally like to get somebody better, but he may be, you know, the best option that they end up deciding works. Wait, you don't think that they've committed to him next season for a roster spot? Jordan Lyles? Oh, sorry, Lyles. I was thinking Hauser. No, I'm talking about Lyles. Okay. I'm talking about Lyles. Yeah, no, I, my, Adrian Hauser is going to be... Uh, a guy who's in the rotation next year, if not to start the season at some point, he's going to get rotation run. Lyles is the question because you'd have to bring him back. And it it always comes down to with this team. Can you afford the roster spots? Is he good enough to be, you know, worthy of that spot, depending on what else is available? And I don't know, JP, have you have you evolved at all on where you are with Lyles? Because I'm maybe questioning it a little bit more in terms of his being viable for 2020 on the roster. But I I still don't see it as like a slam dunk. Ultimately, I think it's what else is out there. And if there's there's nothing better out there, then obviously you'd like to be able to add him to your cadre of pitchers that you can then mix and match. But the Brewers are going to want to do the same thing in their rotation this year if they cannot find somebody who's a clear upgrade. And Lyles would come in as just one of a bunch of guys who might see some time and might not see some time. And it's a question of whether or not he wants that role. It's a whether whether or not they want to commit to some of the young guys in the rotation. Uh, there's a lot of question marks in terms of what the Brewers are going to want to do going forward. But I, I think what ends up getting tough is watching a guy do well for your team and then kind of thinking that they have played their way onto the roster for next year when every every year is going to be different and what you need in terms of your roster construction is different. And what the Brewers, I imagine, are going to need to do first and foremost, they're going to need to address third base. Uh, they're going to need to address catcher. They're going to need to maybe address first base. They're going to have a lot of needs. They maybe need to. They maybe need to start looking at shortstop. And it's going to be a huge task we, for. And we, if we have a question about that, by the way, <laughs> yeah, go for it. Uh, Dan Larson asks, uh, "We're probably saving this for after the season." Clearly, we're addressing this now. <laughs> but man, Arcia is bad. 
His WRC plus is worse in the league among qualifier, qualifiers at 54. Uh, next closest players are at 74. Council has a platoon, uh, has a platoon, Spangenberg and Perez overusing him for the rest of the season. Is that correct? I think I think at some point it it's going to depend a little bit on defense, what they're going to want to do to prioritize uh, run prevention, because that is still going to be one of the biggest things that the Brewers need to do is they, they have to be able to pitch well enough. And right now it does seem that there is a pretty big step down defensively with both Spangenberg and Perez at, at shortstop. And at second base, if you're going to have Hira, he's not an otherworldly defensive second baseman. And so you're also going to need to continue to kind of churn what's going on at third base because Travis Shaw isn't necessarily being able to lock that down at this point. So there's a lot of moving parts. I think that RCA will continue to see time. I think he still should continue to see time. He's got an actual attribute that adds something to the team for sure, which is his defense. But I'm not necessarily sure that what they need to be doing is prioritizing that uh, for next year, which is why, you know, it was interesting because you've got um, Mike Fasalo, the media director for the uh, or like the director of media relations, or I'm not sure what his title is anymore, but but Mike is is high up in communications with with the Brewers. I and thought he was a wrestling PR guy. He might be as well on the side. That might be that might be a side hustle. And we've got kind of this thing where they were saying that for you know in the Dubon trade they went out and got Pomeranz, they went out and got Ray Black, and they've both been uh, they've both been able to. Do, prevent runs very very well Pomeranz has been good I, there's no real two ways about it he's been he's been very very good uh Ray Black has has a good ERA um the underlying numbers suggest he's actually been kind of bad so it'll be interesting to see what that does going forward but the implication was you know everybody complained about the Dubon trade but look who they brought in they've been able to be really quality players but at the same time the issue wasn't really what they went and got. The issue was what they got rid of because Dubon had a role on this team because of the exact issues that we're seeing right now. We knew the fact that Arcia was prone to struggle at the plate pretty significantly, and they might need to, to look at something at, sh at shortstop. And without Dubon, your options were Perez, who they already DFA'd at one point, that he played himself off the team. Spangenberg... You know, nobody really expects him to come to to come in here and be a long term option at shortstop and Saladino. Everybody was sick of you know last year, and that Dubon right now is actually producing quite well for San Francisco. He's got he's been basically a league average hitter, and right now at shortstop with competent defensive shortstop abilities and being able to be a league average hitter would be a massive upgrade at shortstop. So it's something that they're going to have to look at because their internal option at shortstop is now gone. And I think that they are going to have to address that. But as far as the rest of the season, they've got too many holes on the infield. They're going to have to mix and match. Arcia will still continue to get time. Yeah, I think he is going to get the lion's share of starts at shortstop. So uh, good news is that Keston here is back. He made a pinch hit appearance on Saturday night. Uh, he struck out, but uh, they're kind of easing him back into the lineup. And they said this from the get go. Is he was activated, but they weren't going to just like send him out the full. Yeah, time. they had him doing some agility drills, and then it was you know he would see if he could run in short spurts. But the the question is still like, can he handle being in the field and doing you know twisting your body around the, the way that a second baseman needs to to be able to make plays? So they're they're taking it slowly, but they really do need his bat. In the absence of Christian Yelich, they've been fortunate this week that Mustakis has gotten insanely hot, mm -hmm. and so that really helped. Grandal has been very good. Grisham had his big game. Like, <laughs> you want to talk about Grisham they've for gotten, a little bit? Nope. They've gotten offensive contributions from other people in the lineup, but they're what going about to Corey need. Ray, is he coming up? <laughs> they're going to need Keston Hero to be good. I'm making a very obvious point here. They're going to need Keston Hero to be good uh, for the offense to click down the stretch they do i mean does if here is back full time do you think they can mix and match perez and spangenberg at shortstop and make it work i think they but, but again they still need to also take care of third base moustakas he's got it taken care of oh well i guess yeah i guess i was think i was uh forgetting moose i was talking about that just think back that like travis shaw is like blazing in my head that <laughs> 
Travis Shaw's sh- blazing in a lot of people's like, heads right now. Shaw has for- been so bad that he's actually like sucked out the the goodness from Mike Moustakis to say, what he's provided like, at third base. You were just like you were like Moustakis, and I was like, yeah, he's been great. And then I'm still like, there's the problem at third base. Um, yeah, but no, obviously, yeah, if Moustakis is being able to handle third base and he's healthy, then they're going to be able to do a little bit at shortstop. the The, the biggest problem is is neither Spangenberg nor Perez are actually good offensive options either. No, but at least you can kind of mix and match them for like matchups. Hopefully, that well, would be and, in and play some offense defense with it. If yeah. you start like, start a guy what, and then bring in Arcia once you have a lead, but like, what's your what's your matchup that you like with either of them? I didn't say I liked any, but I mean, at least you can kind of go left right with them, can't you? And play that matchup. In a guess, yeah, a little. Hey, I'm not saying it's ideal, but Arcia has been so bad that I think probably mix and match. Uh, uh, Perez and Spangenberg is it's not going to well, be it's not going to be worse. And Sal- Saladino is well, he's not going to be worse offensively. It's going to be markedly worse defensively. And but like uh, Talis- Tyler Saladino is apparently going to be making his uh, I think what rehab outing with Biloxi because they are still in the the playoffs. Yep, and he's potentially going to be back uh, momentarily as well. So if you want to throw Saladino into that too, Steve, we can do that. Man, just everybody, whoever wants to play there, like you're good to go. I think they they should just have open tryouts at this point. Mustakas played shortstop in in uh, in the minors. Go for it. Well, yeah, he was drafted as a shortstop. I would imagine that Ryan Braun still has a shortstop glove. You know, Ryan Braun has a shortstop glove. You Stop. know it though. Stop. <laughs> well, I will. The I worst will third accept, base season of. Uh, I will accept a lot of crazy ideas. Ryan Braun back in the infield, if it's not at first base, is not one of those ideas I will ever entertain. Ryan Braun had one of the worst third base seasons in recorded history as far back as like advanced defensive metrics go. He was so bad, it's like light years worse than just about anybody else who's ever played. Uh, Yeah, I don't think they're going to move him to Mm -mm. shortstop. It's still funny, Steve. It's still funny. Very funny. Uh, Brandon Woodruff threw a simulated game on Wednesday. the organization seems to be pleased with how it went. I mean, is there any chance that he comes back and he can be a starter again? Or are we looking for somebody who's maybe a multi-inning role of the bullpen? I mean, in terms of starting, he could start a game and then go two innings as like an opener, basically. That has been a thing that the Brewers have done. So I don't see any reason why. That wasn't my question because, uh, yes, two innings in any game. If you want to say he is an opener or he's just a long reliever, that's kind of what I was bringing up. Though. Right. And it's going to be a question of he is going to have to extend out. Like right now, he is not throwing that many pitches when he throws. And the question will be, do they want to get him on a starting schedule and start getting him like recovery time and all that so that he does start every five days and you just start edging out the number of, of pitches he throws? Do you want to do that or do you want to say, no, we would rather use him every three or four days for a couple innings and that would probably be in a bullpen role, right? Um, I think that the way things are trending, the fact that they had him throw the bullpen on Saturday three days after he threw that simulated game on Wednesday, I think they're testing to see if they can use him more as a bullpen pitcher as opposed to a starter who goes every five days and then goes as long as he can. To be fair, even if he was prepping to be a starter, he would have a regular throw day in the middle of that anyway. That's true. That is true. You're right. So So maybe that isn't as, as impactful as what I was saying. I do think that he is probably going to come in as a bullpen piece because I think what we've seen, and we saw this down the stretch last year, is basically what they're going to do is throw bullpen games as much as possible. And that Woodruff will be a big piece of it. And I think what they've seen is last year, they saw Woodruff in a very successful role coming out of the bullpen, being able to be a multi-inning guy and be able to uh, you know, hit home runs against Clayton Kershaw. And why wouldn't you want him to be a potential uh, you know, home run guy against the Dodgers when they face them in the NLCS again. I just don't understand why you wouldn't want to prep him for that. Prep him for success, and that's a big part of success in October. Is Brandon Woodruff hitting bombs off uh, one of the best lefties? I mean, ever could seen. he could he stretch out in these appearances to get to the point where, uh, as crazy as it seems, if they hit the postseason by that time, he could you know possibly be starting. You Even mean if, going going like. 80 pitches, 80 yeah. to 100 pitches. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not saying he's going to like throw complete games, but you know, you could hopefully get close to five innings out of him. 
I don't I don't think there's too much advantage to it. I think what you do is you prep them to go two to three innings and you already have so many different guys that you are prepping to start and that you have a lot of flexibility in your bullpen going forward. And then especially once you get to the postseason, if they do make the postseason, you are going to be dealing with shortened series and shortened rotations. And then he's still going to be somebody that you can rely on for two innings, potentially, what, three times in a series if it goes to seven games? Sure. And they're also going to have to kind of judge by how he's bouncing back, like physically, what how does he respond? You know what I mean? And also just how effective is he against big league hitters? Because we still don't know. He's not going to have the advantage of going down to the minors and like mowing down minor leaguers to get that feel back. He's going to have to hit and go against big league hitters right away. And we'll see if he's even really effective because sometimes guys take a little bit of time after a sustained layoff like this to get to the point where they are an effective pitcher again. So that's all still yet to be determined. But I think, I think JP's right here that they probably, because of the way they use pitchers anyway, they probably will trend more towards using him as a multi-inning bullpen piece than as a true starter at this point. Um, so we have Brent Suters in the game on Sunday. Again, he's already thrown a couple of scoreless innings. And we have a question, uh, Patreon question from PB Brew Crew. He asks, how much fun is it to watch Brent Suter in the multi-inning bullpen weapon role? I think it's been great. Uh, I was actually surprised. It almost looked like they were prepping him to start when he was coming up to the minors. He was throwing upwards of four and five innings again in his last couple of starts with AAA. I thought he was maybe going to slide into the, to the rotation, but... Uh, the rotation, I think, had been good enough prior to his call-up that they kind of just moved him to the bullpen, which is why I still think if they're doing this with, with uh, Suter, I think they'll probably do it with Woodruff as well, and he'll kind of be a right-handed version of that uh, going down the stretch. Because ultimately, when the Brewers are dealing with these these games in key spots, we saw last year, what they want to do is get to the bullpen as quickly as possible. And, and in order to do that, you need as quality of a bullpen as you can. And there have been so many guys that have been able to kind of carry water thus far to the point of, you know, getting them to a bullpen that is good enough right now. But I still think that I, I don't think it'd be overstating it to say that they still need actual like good arms down the, down the stretch. And so you need to populate it with as many good arms as you can. It does feel like they can kind of get through with, you know, two starters in, you know, and we're discounting like Chase Anderson's been solid. Yeah, he's been fine. And yeah. da Zach Davies has been Z fine as well. Davies has been fine as well. So and those guys have been like good for their three, four innings at a time. And then council gets them out of the game once they're going to see the lineup, you know, a third time or whatever. Mm -hmm. Those guys aren't being asked to turn over the lineup a bunch of times. They're being put in a very specific role and they've been fine at it it does feel like they're actually in a better position this season to get those starts than they were last year because last year we got to the end of the season it really did feel like it was just Miley and Chassin uh yeah I suppose in Geo but that really came about more in the postseason if anything yeah Geo in the postseason you had Woodruff kind it was kind of Geo and Woodruff were Playing I mean, off each other? Once you were in the postseason, yeah. I mean, Brett Suter has been incredible, not counting what he's done on Sunday so far. You have uh, nine and one-thirds innings pitched, seven strikeouts, and he has given up uh, one run. So he's got a .96 ERA, and he has a couple more shutout innings, at least so far here. So, I mean, he has been really, really good. He has been limiting guys' hits, 4.8 hits per nine. So, like, he is not giving up a lot here he uh you're always gonna have a little bit of an issue with him in terms of giving up uh some home runs because when when a guy does get a hold of one on him they're gonna be able to to send it away but he's also not walked anybody so even though the strikeout rate isn't tremendous when you're not walking people you can be really really effective yeah i mean i guess how what are we thinking of this team right now because again we were thinking that you know they should be left for dead at this point they're not um, when we look at the schedule remaining, um, what's your feeling for the team, JP? I mean, do you think this is doable where they could put up a record where they could, you know, at least get that play in game, uh, similar to what they had last season? Of course, last year it was playing for the division. It was a play in for the division, but then they would have had to have done a, this a wild year card feel, game if they'd th lost. This year it feels like if you do it, you're going to get a play in game. They're not going to. Right. Challenging the Cardinals is going to be tough at this point. Well, they're. Pending game on Sunday, they're four back of the Cardinals. 
win and your three back, losing your five back. If you lose, you're probably, I mean, you're not done, done, but yeah. So JP, what are your impressions at the moment? Well, I think right now they're in a very fortunate stretch. And I think if you do look at what we were talking about earlier, it's, it's guys picking up the slack at the right time and not kind of doing it all at the same time, right? Like you've got your game in which Grisham has your five hits. And then you've got another game where like Austin hits uh, a key home run and then the next game you've got an opportunity for like moose moustakas or grandall to to carry to carry the team basically and i it, it's it's a really strange spot where you know when you do have guys picking things up on different days and and you're you're not seeing everyone kind of go cold at the same time and you're not seeing everyone go hot at the right time you can and and then you start actually like getting solid pitching performances at the same time. That's what obviously, you know, not not breaking ground, but that's what winning streaks are made of. You need to be able to hit these things at the right time. And earlier this year, we saw the everything kind of go bad at the same time. And what they're going to need to be able to do is just kind of mix and match to the point that they can find guys to get the job done, because I don't think that there's anyone that you can really look at on the team and say you're going to rely on them to carry the pitching staff or you're going to rely on them to carry, you know, the offense. They've got some guys that are obviously some some good hitters, but what is it? Like you've got any day of the week you're looking at a, a lineup that has maybe like Arcia and Perez and like you've you've still got lineups where you're looking at it and you're like 6 7 8 in the lineup is not very good. And you're hoping that the the top half can kind of carry it, but we saw last year like that that carries problems if if you're not being able to to get guys hot at the right time. So, I think it's it's going to be it's going to be tough and unfortunately as we've seen thus far, what were they at one point? 8 and 2 and they still had barely tied for the second wild card spot and then they ended up like losing one game and then now we're back again it's good they're gonna have to win a lot of games well they did yeah. just take the lead on a two-run spansion bomb spanch which, bomb spanch bomb which, i think i spansion bomb i think that's good um yeah i mean looking at their schedule the rest of the way they have uh san diego in for four to start this week and then they have pittsburgh for three and then to end the season they head to cincinnati for three and they head to colorado for three those are Four of the bottom five teams in the NL, but aren't isn't most of the NL Central kind of on a similar schedule? Except the Cubs and Cardinals have a series. To play. The Cubs and Cardinals have two series to play. Is it two? They play seven times. One of them's a four gamer. They have seven games left. They're going to so kill each other. Those two, and I yeah, and it's going to be really weird because we're not going to know quite what to root for necessarily. Because on one hand, if you're rooting for the Cardinals to win, no, you root for the Cardinals. Get into the playoffs. Right. Because the Cardinals are going to be tougher to catch at the moment. Well, once you've caught the Cubs, though, if you catch the Cubs and go ahead of them, then you're rooting for the opposite. (laughs) Because then you're rooting, well, let's go win the division. If you can reel off a series of wins here, then you say, well, let's go win the division. So, Well, but but, I mean, really what you're doing is just there's not really much to do other than win your games. It is. It's Spangenberg and Perez are just, you know... (laughs) No, JP, you're right. You have They're to win your games. They're killing it right now. Perez is just, you know, got a single. So, well, but thing that the thing that I would be careful of is the fact that we've kind of looked at the fact that yeah, the Cubs are the ones ahead for the the second wild card spot. Uh, the Mets are only a couple games back. The Phillies are only a couple games back. Like there are still other teams in the picture. So no matter what happens with the Cubs and the Cardinals, the Brewers are going to have to win their games. If they don't win their games, they're going to be overtaken by somebody behind them. So when we say they have to win their games, uh, they have, let's treat this game in St. Louis as if it's you know still to be played since we don't know exactly what the result is at this point. That gives them 13, 14 games left. How many of those do they need to win to, for you to feel good that they're going to actually make the playoffs? Do they need to win 10 of those? Do they need to win... 11 of them where where are you in terms of feeling good about making the playoffs i i have no idea (laughs) i mean which is probably the best guess well yeah but i mean people people are counting on our uh, our expertise here well but let's be honest about it as many of them as possible winning 11 would put them at 90 wins so yeah 11 of 14 would be 90 wins 
Right, but obviously the the whole point is the fact is we can talk about what other teams are doing till we're blue in the face. The Brewers have to win, right? And there's not going to be a magic number that gets them into the postseason. What they're going to have to do is just take care of business and hope that other teams don't get hot. Yeah, assuming somebody doesn't really go on fire, I mean, I would say win each series, which means when you play San Diego, you got to take three or four. Other than that, two or three from everybody else. And then that would include winning the, the game against uh, – against St. Louis, that would allow you four losses the rest of the way. So that would put you at 89 wins. And I think that probably... Which, at the beginning of the season, I think we were all kind of like, whoever gets to 90 has a good chance of winning the division. Not to toot my own horn, but I think I picked 89 wins. I think okay, I To win Wolves... the division? No, to for the Brewers to win this season. I think I picked them to win 89. And then I had the Cubs winning 90 and the Cardinals winning 91. So I had them out of the playoffs, but at 89 wins. Okay. That's that's incredible foresight that we're like giving them those wins. So you were exactly right. Yes, that is how this works. That is perfect. We're gonna cue no, this. We're gonna cue this up in two weeks. <laughs> Good. Um now it it's gonna be a really tough it's gonna be a tough slide, right? I mean, they're the Brewers are eight and two in their in their last ten, uh, not including today. The, but the Mets are still seven and three. They're playing quite well. The the Cubs have been on an absolute offensive tear lately. And, you know, the fact that it's against the Pirates helps. But these are not teams that are necessarily just going to absolute pack it in just because the Brewers come to town and they don't have anything to play for. It, the, the Pirates do not like the Brewers. And so the Pirates are going to want to play spoiler if they can. And the, the Padres have a lot of young talent that they're going to be bringing to the table it's still going to be something that the Brewers are going to have to go in and, and get the job done. I think if, if they get like, I think if, if they can go in and say, you know, if you, if you gave me right now, 88 wins, I'd take it like in a heartbeat. Yeah. I think that, yeah. If you're taking that versus the other option, like the black box, like you don't know. Yeah. I'd take 88 and I would think that would probably at least get them to a playing game, but for the second wild card, but you don't know for sure. Something was brought up on the broadcast the other day. Playing all these really bad teams is potentially also going to have the advantage of teams that fall out of it now tend to take care of some of their uh, players and they shut down, say, pitchers like, I don't know, Chris Paddock maybe doesn't make a start. Uh, the Reds could potentially be uh, not giving another start to Sonny Gray. You have teams start to shut guys down and just like veterans okay you have a slight knock well we don't need you you're done for the year have you do have but but on the but on the opposite side of that what you do is have a lot of young players on rebuilding teams fighting for a starting role out of spring training next year you have absolutely have a bunch of guys who are going to be busting a gut because they know that their position coming into that team next year on a rebuilding team where the entire roster is on flux they need to produce now in order to get themselves a look in a big league contract in april of next year by the way interesting development keston here got a hit and they immediately uh pinch ran for him i was wondering if this was going to be a thing because yesterday he struck out on saturday night i should say he struck out and i was wondering if they would do this and it makes perfect sense let somebody else run who do we have taylor williams taylor williams apparently has the spikes on jp and he is running for uh keston hero so. he did that early, he did that earlier in the week actually yeah. he and i think he was for what was it for grand all or there somebody? was a, there was a really weird one where they pinch ran chase anderson and then, like, when Anderson got, like, the, the next hitter walked, Anderson went to second, and then they pulled Anderson for Taylor Williams. So they had two different pitch runners, both pitchers, in the same, uh, for the same guy. Yeah, I remember that, and it was so odd, I can't even recall the exact, like, Look, sequence of events. It was it's, it's one of those things that just doesn't happen, so. Do not, do not question what happens in Craig Timber. No. There's a method behind every kind of madness that happens in Craig Timber. It's, you it's know alchemy what? is what it is. It's alchemy. We're it's, turning in, uh, lead into gold here. In Craig Timber, I just put my hands up and enjoy the ride. Because that's basically what it is. Just, you know, Craig's going to guide you on the rest of this. Stuff. Which is, which is you know, like I appreciate the fact that Craig basically goes to Moustakas and says, we need, you to be, we need you to be awesome. And he goes, oh, I wasn't prepared for that. Uh, you're right. I'm going to now try to be awesome. Thanks, Skip. Yeah. <laughs> okay, Skip. Yeah. <laughs> Go hit a home run, Strawberry. <laughs> so if, I had to, if I had to tell you right now, there are how many teams with more than 90 losses in Major League Baseball already? Oh, I have no idea. Oh, there's a bunch because there's going to be over 
like five or six in the American League that lose a hundred. They're over ninety already. There's six or what seven. You, is it? There's the, like the, I'm gonna say seven. The AL Central. I think everybody has a hundred losses. Well, except for the the Indians and the Twins. <laughs> they're gonna have hundred wins. I was saying so. even even they're terrible. But they just get to play the most terrible teams. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it's five. It's the Blue Jays, the Royals, the Orioles, the Tigers, and the Marlins. And what you've seen, like the craziest thing, is we talked prior to the year about the fact that the the NL was going to be a slog, and it is. Aside from the Dodgers, it is. No, yeah, the Braves are just like three wins well, behind the Dodgers. They've been but really only, good. There are only five teams that are not going to win seventy games in the NL. And if you look at, uh, and if you look at the AL, you know. They're maybe going to be seven that don't like that's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. There's definitely a disparity between the two leagues as far as uh, which one's other, competitive versus which one just has some juggernauts. Yeah. The other thing I was going to bring up, too, that I forgot to, to mention earlier is the fact that the Nationals actually only have a game and a half lead over the Cubs right now because they've been brutal. They've been three and seven in their last 10 and have been in a pretty big free fall. I think most of us would agree that the Nationals are better than both the Cubs and the Brewers, but They've been they've been bad, and so they've at least given themselves an option to uh, fall out of the the wild card race. But when you've got guys like, yeah, they were sitting comfortable for a while, and they're they were, just in the mix. Yeah, they were very very comfortable for a while, but then, it's what happens if if the teams behind you, like the the Brewers and the Mets, and and even the Cubs, were on a pretty good stretch here, uh, before you know they lost a couple to the Brewers, which we'll take. That's allowed. And I'm a big fan of it personally. The, the Nationals ended up basically just free-falling into making the first wild-card spot a fight. Because in thinking about it and talking about it before, we were saying that it's only the second wild-card spot that was up for up for grabs. But, like, that was true a week ago. It's not true anymore. No, By the there's way, the still Mets, some fluidity. The Mets are plus 35 in, in runs this season. The Brewers are minus 31. So it is fun to think, like, well, the Mets are dumb. And the Brewers are smart. I mean, I'm personally rooting for the Brewers to finish with as low a run differential as possible while still making the playoffs. Like, <laughs> I know. I kind of want to see it just to, like, you know, screw with people. Because it is. It's just a dumb thing to follow. Because, like, the Cubs, what what they win the other day, they had, like, a 14 to nothing game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Great. I mean, it counts as one. You would hope the Brewers would rack up with all these bad teams that they're facing and all the bad pitchers they're going to see that they would be able to have a few of those Laffer games in here over the next two weeks. But... Yeah, you don't know. But to be fair, over the course of an entire year, the number one predictor of what your actual record is going to be is your run differential. That's year on year. That is 100 percent the best predictor of what you're going to do over the course of an entire year. Was it Mike Petriello that was saying that it's it has started to trend uh, to be not as good a predictor as it used to be? Just because it's not as good doesn't mean it's not still good. Yeah, it's I mean, if you look at it, it's still, you know, the, the teams that are. One to two hundred plus on their run differential right now are all leading the division, you know, and the two teams that are you know next in the wild card are a hundred plus. The Brewers are the outlier with the minus thirty one. Right. Yes, they're definitely an outlier, and it is it is a weird thing that they're doing, but it's also we're starting to see they play outplayed their run differential by a lot last year too. There was that White Sox team in the middle of the aughts that uh, every single year they were outplaying their run differential well, by a bunch. And but we've also like, talked about the number of guys, still. the number of guys that they're willing to throw for what would be non traditional innings. Basically, mm-hmm. you know, pulling starters early, uh, going multiple innings with your relief pitchers. Uh, you know, your elite relief pitchers going multiple innings. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it shows that. While you can still look at run differential, it there is it is somewhat outdated just to hang on that number. Yeah, I think there's more nuance, and we can do more nuanced things now that we understand things like base runs and all that. Like now, we it'll can be, look at more. It'll be interesting to see as more teams adapt to that. You know, more teams are using their uh, best relief pitchers for multiple innings. So, I mean, as that happens, will it then kind of even out again? I mean, you would assume it would have to at that point because if everybody is then kind of playing at the same level, run but, differential would be a little more stable. But what you've seen is that in blowout games, the Brewers have uh, much more often been on the, the bad side of a blowout than they have on the right side of a blowout. And there are 10 games over 500 in one game, one, one run games, which speaks to uh, how good Hater has been, right? I mean, on one hand, I know that everybody kind of says 
that yeah he gave up some home runs for like two weeks but um Hader over the course of the entire year has been one of the best relievers in baseball and the fact that they are 10 games over 500 in one run games they've played 40 of them they played 41 run games this year which is a ton and on the blowout side in blowouts they've won 15 they've lost uh 22 but their run differential in blowout games is uh, about negative 60. And Which, that's basically where that number comes from then. That's yes. where the so, seasonal number comes from. I out. mean, thank, thank you, Jimmy Nelson. Thank you, Corbin Burns. I mean, uh, been, yeah, Freddie too. It's been that way. So, But right now, I will say, because one of our prop bets early in the year was when, you know, what, what month will the Brewers have the best uh, record? None of us said September, I don't think. I said September. Did you? Mm-hmm. Because I was counting on the Craig Timber. So I, said, I said September. I think that's a lie. I, I think I'm think i going to check. I, I think you went in and doctored the spreadsheet. I'm going to check. <laughs> Google I, Docs I'm tracks very, the changes. If you, changed it, if you change it, I'll track changes on you. <laughs> but, but other than this year, it's basically been, you know, last year we said that they were uh, about 500 every single month aside from two months. It was May. They were fantastic. And then September, they won on a big run. And this year, again, it's it's their basically april they were basically 500 may they were three games uh, uh over june they were 500 july they were one game under august they were two under they've been basically a 500 team aside from september by the way i did pick i i picked may i think is my month that's fantastic i picked june because they were playing the Marlins. oh yeah i remember that yeah june was a hot pick because it was just yeah. a garbage garbage and, month and it turned out not to actually be the case because that was like the one month that uh the giants got their act together well, it also turns out that was the month in which we give up more runs than any other month uh, across the year, which is negative when you're trying to figure out what's going on. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's not good. It's not good. So uh, the Brewers, again, hold on. I had it up here just a moment ago. What are you looking for? <laughs> the schedule. <laughs> oh, I just read it. Yeah, so they have uh, four in San Diego, and then they have three in Pittsburgh before we convene again to, to talk about what's going on with the Brewers. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how they react this week. Again, they're in the middle of a stretch where they're just playing every day. Yeah, and I'll be at Miller Park, I think, four of the f- seven games. Yeah, and there a lot. Th- their roster depth is being tested. Yeah, you, you bring up all those pitchers, they have to use all of them at this, at this time. Well, and, and they are, and they're getting good performances for most of them um, on, a, on a daily basis. I mean, guys have had their, their hiccups and their, their bumps in the road, but they've been getting things that they they needed from those guys for the most part so yeah so it'll be fun to watch the rest of the week jp anything you think we should uh look for anything you're looking forward to no i'm looking forward to to seeing what happens with uh woodruff coming back basically i'd like to be able to see woodruff come back and absolutely be a game changer in the bullpen for for the brewers i think that would be a huge huge impact for them going down the stretch the fact that pomeranz is is genuinely been good i think his dra is right about two uh, since he's joined the Brewers, he's been he's been excellent. The Brewers made a very, you know, we were talking about the fact that basically they looked at him as a as a reliever for like five innings that he pitched for San Francisco, and then they came in and said we think he can be an absolute game changing uh, reliever, and that was that was a big gamble because they didn't have much in terms of data to show that that was going to be the case, and he's been tremendous, and it's been a, a big change for them to say that they can go to Pomeranz down the stretch. They can go to Suter for multiple innings now where he's been a, a really good guy. Hater is is back on track where he is uh, being an absolute lockdown guy again. If you can add Woodruff to that mix, that's obviously going to be uh, only beneficial for the Brewers going forward. And Claudio, I know that, you know, Paul says he's basically seen him retire like one batter in his entire <laughs> with Brewers, but um, he's been he's had a sub three ERA since basically the end of May. He's been excellent. And the Brewers are kind of getting on the right stretch with their bullpen when they need to. And and that's exactly what we said that needed to happen. Yeah. So it's going to be fun to watch. Uh, obviously, I think everybody's just kind of getting that tense mode at the end of the season uh, for the remaining part of the year. So uh, anyways, remember, you can join our Patreon by visiting patreon.com slash MKE tailgate. Patrons at the ball and glove level receive the monthly minor league extra podcast and the weekly uh, Packers previews. Don't forget to subscribe to Reporting is Eligible, our new Packers podcast, uh, which Paul uh, Paul Noonan, Jared Radcliffe, and Matub. Matub? Matub. 
And so I will say, Ryan and I are going to be recording the Minor League Special on Tuesday this week, so look for it on Wednesday. Yes. yes. And I'll put up the questions shortly here. So, so lots of content coming out there. Uh, Packers just got another win. We're hoping the Brewers can come back in this Sunday game, uh, make it a real good uh, weekend of sports. Yeah. Either way, they kind of got enough to just hang around. Um, don't forget, you can submit questions uh, on Twitter at MKE Tailgate. You can also uh, contact us at milwaukees.tailgate at gmail.com or through our Facebook page for Milwaukee's Tailgate Baseball Podcast. Don't forget, you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Overcast, Pocket Cast, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. Leave reviews and help people find the podcast. So thanks for listening, and look for us again next week on Milwaukee's Tailgate.